Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against everyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Um, it's incredibly hard to jump into the book of Romans, even a, a, a short passage like that is full of many um, themes. But I want to pick up today the theme of reigning in life. And I want to focus on um, that verse, se- the, the verse 17, which talks about the gift of righteousness um, and uh, the free gift of grace. This passage includes the kind of lines that you might underline in your Bible. It has that phrase repeated, reign in Christ. Uh, And if you go through the New Testament, there are lots of sorts of victory verses uh, like that that you might have uh, applied a highlighter pen to. We are more than conquerors. Uh, He always leads us in triumphant procession. And um, there's a response to that, which I often have, which is, um, yes, um, that's how my life following Jesus should be. Um, I'm going to reign in Christ. I'm not just a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm being led in this triumphant procession. Um, But if you're honest, there is a gap between the idea that a verse like that throws out and the reality of how your life is doing, or certainly for me, there is a gap. We feel like, yes, that's where I should be, that's where I'd like to be, and then we we fall into this groove. Um, Right, I'm going to start reigning in life. What a great sermon, Christian. You've convinced me. I'm going to go away now, and I'm going to reign in life through Christ. And that kind of moment often comes at um, transition or milestones or just times when we've got an ability to focus. Uh, It might be at the turn of a new year. It might be when you go to a a conference 
It might be when you go away to a summer Bible weekend, you're at New Wine and you, you, know, you go to church four times a day for a week and by the end of it, something sinks in and you, and you feel like, yes, that theme, reigning in Christ more than a conqueror, that's who I'm going to be. I'm going to drive out of this, this Bible week and that's who I'm going to be. And often in moments like that, we make a, a tragic mistake. Tragic because actually our hearts are honestly motivated to be committed to following God. Uh, and so we start to apply it. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, now I'm going to get up early every day and I'm going to pray every day. And in fact I'm going to pray longer than I've ever prayed uh, in the morning before. And I'm going to sign up for that thing and I'm going to read my Bible uh, in a year. And this year I'm really going to do it. And in fact I'm going to not just keep this to myself... But every day I'll witness to somebody and uh, it'll be at least one person that I'll witness to every day. And in fact, I'll do some good deeds. Every day I'll do some good deeds and all good things. But what happens is we end up translating grace into a set of rules that we set before us as goals that we're going to keep. And sometimes we manage to do this even, even for as long as a week. Uh, but as you fall into the second week, and I've, I've experienced this myself, you, you start to get hours behind in your prayer schedule. And uh, you're, you're already a book, you know, adrift in terms of your Bible in a year. Uh, you, you're, you're falling short on the good deeds that you should have done. And the people that you could have witnessed to, you've, you've forgotten and that opportunity has passed. And what happens is the, the goals that we set out of our heart response... It's almost as if they come back and war against the very thing that we desire to do. Now, of course, the text says something about how this happens. And verse 17 says this. We reign in life through the abundant provision of grace and the free gift of righteousness. So this idea of reigning in life happens... Not because of the level of our gritted teeth determination, but because of the amount of grace that we have received from God as a gift. Not through rules and laws that we impose upon ourselves as if that, those things formed a spiritual training program. And if only we can complete those things, we will hit the final goal. Uh, and the difference is actually crucial, because if we get it wrong, we will walk out a life of following Jesus that's ever full of secret disappointment. Where on the outside, we're trying to live out this reigning in Christ uh, uh, manifesto. But on the inside, we are painfully aware of how far we fall short of keeping the rules that we've set. And we get used to and familiar with both the sense of defeat that inevitably comes from that and the condemnation that comes from being painfully aware of the gap between where we feel we are and where we feel that we should be or ought to be or that others presume we might be. And it, it can mean that things like coming to a church meeting on Sunday or going to a conference become not, not times of celebration or, or even community or rejoicing, 
but actually can become a sort of a, a very short-lived escape from the reality that is the normal Christian life that I am living. Now, if I ask you this question, are Christians under the law? Is somebody that's following Jesus under the law? I won't ask for a show of hands, but if there was a show of hands, I'm, I, I, you know, in your head, do you know how you might be voting? Let me throw a few scriptures at this. Uh, Matthew 5.17 says this, Jesus came, Jesus said, um, he came to fulfill the law, so we should do the same. Uh, Matthew 5.18 says this, Jesus said, the law will never pass away. Um, okay, Paul says this, Romans 6.14, you are not under the law, but under the grace. Do you know what? It gets really confusing, doesn't it? You know, hand up, hand down, maybe you're kind of having a little sneaky look around. What does somebody who knows, like they might know the answer, doing? I'll just copy um, what they're doing. But the question still stands. Am I to live my life under the myriad of laws, these, these, these spiritual goals that the Bible itself speaks about that are associated with following Christ? In Romans 7, uh, in the next chapter, uh, Paul uses an illustration. And the illustration he uses is the idea of marriage. Uh, and he says that this, uh, mankind is in, this, in slavery to sin. And he describes our relationship to the law, the law of God, as the law is our husband. And as our husband, Paul says, the law has authority over us. And the law has authority to speak and comment over our life in every area of our life. And so the law speaks to us and says, don't do that. Stop doing that. Don't look at that. Don't think that. Don't touch that. Don't be there. Don't be like that. Don't do that thing. The, the law um, always points out where we're failing but, crucially, never lifts a finger to help us. So he's, an, so he's an overbearing, critical husband in authority over our spiritual life who points out where we fail to follow God. He never actually helps us to achieve it, and annoyingly, he's always right. And the Bible says... You are married to this law for as long as you shall live. And to make it totally worse, Jesus says this, Matthew 5.18. He said, the law will never pass away. But suddenly, light comes and uh, Romans is full of the wisdom of Paul. And in Romans 7.4, he says this. You have died to the law through the body of Christ. So this is the picture he's presenting. The law is there and never passes away. Every person that lives is in this covenant relationship that measures their life according to the perfect law of God that's never wrong. But the act of dying and becoming one with Christ ends that marriage with the law and sets us free to have a new husband who is Jesus. 
And actually, that's the picture, one of the pictures of baptism, isn't it? As a person goes into the water, uh, it's not just their, their life, their old life ends, but actually their, their uh, moral attachment to pleasing God through the keeping of rules and laws is brought to an end so that that person can be lifted up to a, a new relationship that's a living relationship with Jesus Christ who has fulfilled the law perfectly himself. And so the, the, the death, the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus it has brought us into a different kind of relationship with God. The law has not been diminished. It's not that God's saying Ten Commandments, they're more like suggestions now. Uh, you know, the, the things that in the past people uh, literally lived and died over, oh, we won't worry about those. It's a, it's a, we're in a modern world, you know, times have passed. Uh, each one should please themselves or do, as, do whatever they think best. It's not that the law has been diminished, but it's that our relationship with God is no longer through the keeping of those laws, but is through our living relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I think many Christians live a backwards and forwards relationship with that. We do a bit of law, we do a bit of grace. In our heads and in our hearts, we often swing like a, a pendulum. Uh, we often start with grace and then slip into law. Somebody once uh, told it to me like this. He said, uh, it's a bit like... Uh, a soldier who's been in the army, uh, signed up and under orders, who uh, signs the form to get themselves out of the army. So they've been released from the army. And as they're walking out of the barracks, across the parade ground, they're about to leave the army. They've already signed themselves out. They're not in the army. They're not under the army anymore. And as they're leaving, Sergeant Major is standing on the parade ground. And Sergeant Major shouts out in his familiar voice something about you horrible little man and get your hair cut and stand to attention. Or, or familiar words that the soldier has previously responded to because they were under the law, under the authority of that covenant, under the orders of that sergeant and familiar with that voice of the one that spoke critically into them. And in that moment, that person's in a dilemma. That the, old, the memory of all that past, of all the impact of what the law used to be, might come back and they stand to attention and they think, oh, I should, really sorry, I should get my hair cut. Or they start marching or whatever they've been ordered to do. And then they realise, I've been released. I've been set free. They could do anything they like to the sergeant major. They could do a finger gesture or, you know, whatever they want to do because they're no longer in a consequential relationship with that person. They've been released to a new one. And Christ, Jesus, the living Jesus, is the end of the law to all who believe in him. Now, this, as I've said, is incredibly important because if, if we're not really clear on this, what we will inevitably sit into is, is a law-based type of trying to please God. Uh, so the husband was our law uh, and we had this relationship with God through the law he convicted us of our shortcomings 
and our failings. Galatians 3.24 says this, uh, what the Lord did was he drove us to Christ. So, that, so one of the functions of the law in our lives is it's, it's convicted us of how great our need is of Jesus. In fact, you can, um, I remember doing this once at Bible College, you can, the Puritans did this brilliantly. They mapped out like every step they could possibly imagine that might be from, of a person coming to know Christ. And often we might think of it as a, as a, a black and white thing like, are you a Christian or are you not a Christian? But to them they saw many steps in it. They saw, they saw things like the veil being removed. They saw uh, the conviction of the heart. They saw um, genuine repentance uh, leading to receiving forgiveness. But, but then beyond that, that you, that you didn't just receive forgiveness, that you trusted in, in Christ and that, you, um, that you, you progressed through that understanding. It's possible to live a version of following Jesus that really just hovers around this idea of trying to keep the laws. And what we inevitably do is we end up sort of um, comparing ourselves. Uh, We're not as bad as the people that do those horrible things that we read about on the news. Um, I'm I'm not as bad as that guy in my cell group. Uh, I'm not as bad as that person on TV who's a politician who claim to be uh, following Jesus but then it turns out maybe he's not and what we end up doing is we end up ranking ourselves so that we can um, put ourselves you know if, if, if the law keeping was an exam uh, we, we also tend to draw the syllabus so that we all get a passing grade yeah um, and it's interesting whenever you talk to people about um, where they stand on a, on a moral spectrum people always have rules people always know these people are dreadful they should be locked up in prison forever that person's saintly they're, they're like a, a, a pure spirit I'm somewhere in between and it's, but they always, people always rank themselves above whatever the okay line is whatever the pass mark um, is and we can have a form of following Jesus where we just sort of hover somewhere above that line. Uh, I'm not below the line, so I'm not in peril. I'm above the line, so I've, you know, I've passed, whatever that means. I've got through. I've got a tick next to my name. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe I'm, I feel just good enough to, to press on or to carry on with uh, following Jesus. So what is this law for? What's the function of the law for which the Bible has a phenomenal amount to say. Much of the Old Testament really is unpacking law. The first five books of the Bible are, are referred to as the law of Moses. They're, just, they, they're considered the law. Most of the scripture by words is actually given over to this idea of the laws of what it's like to following Jesus. If we carried on reading in Romans and we got into chapter 7 and uh, unpacked what it said in there, it says a few things. First of all, the law reveals our sin. Um, it's, uh, you caught it in that reading there where it's, it, it talks about this philosophical idea about people who have lived in a, an age before law are not necessarily even guilty of breaking the law. They might be guilty, but it's as if they're not guilty of the law. We have the same in, in, in society. If, if the government passed a law today, 
It can't be applied backwards. You can't be found guilty of something that wasn't a law then. Um, the law can only go uh, forward. So the, the law, if you like, the Ten Commandments, you know, as you read the first five books of the, the Bible, and the, the law of Moses, as you read the prophets as they unpack and ponder the meaning and the implications of what does the law of God mean, what it does is it, is it provokes our con- conscience. To the Puritans, that was one of the early things on their s- scale of the order of salvation. It was that the law comes and it points out your failings. It, it's as if it draws a line in the sand. And without that line, it, everything's a bit vague. Everyone seems righteous in their own eyes. But once a law is framed, once a measure is put down, once an example is set before us, we know where we stand in that measure. Um, I remember when I was at, at school, um, I was really sad yesterday because my brother sent me a, a message on Facebook to say, they're knocking your school down. And uh, I didn't even like the school actually, but I was so upset and I thought, oh, I just want to go around one more time. And, and he went back round and he was devastated and so maybe I shouldn't have gone round. And I remember studying maths and I absolutely loved studying maths. And uh, w- without arrogance, I can honestly tell you, I was the cleverest in my group. So in my sixth form group, doing A-level maths, I was the smartest kid at the table. And it wasn't like smugness or anything, it's just, I was, okay. And, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm a little bit of smugness. <laughs> and uh, I felt like, you know, wow, I'm pretty good. And then I went to university to study maths, and, and maths was a big department at the, at the university I went to, to 200 people per year. And within the first few weeks of being at university, I realised, I think I'm the dumbest kid in the room. <laughs> I've, I've gone from being incredibly high in my own eyes, in my own measure. Wow, I'm like king of the world of maths. Like, I'll probably have a famous solution with my name attached to it. I'm, I'm that good. Because, look, I'm clearly the, the best in this group. And then I went into another place where the line is drawn. And I realised, ah... Oh, I'm like pretty well below average. I'm like low the bottom, near the bottom of the pile. I had three friends with photographic memories, and and even between them, some of them had better photographic memories than others. One of them could look at something and read it later. It was that good. His photographic <laughs> memory. <laughs> he he'd go home in an evening and just glance through his brain. He was that clever. <laughs> Also, he was a nice person as well, so it's really hard to hate him or anything um, like that. I've forgotten why I said that. So, the, the law draws a line. So, one of the good functions of the law is, is it points out where we failed. So, we can read the Ten Commandments and think, oh, right, okay, how am I doing on some of that? We can read what Jesus said that said, well, if, even if you think something, then it's like you've broken the commandment. We can look at the, the prophets who unpacked what they felt the consequences of it. And we can let that be like a mirror to our lives. And there is something about um, the, um, a, a rule that re- reveals sin. Any parent knows this. Uh, uh, the moment you say uh, there is a rule about something, a child is destined to butt against that rule. And it's as if the rule becomes like a glass thing they want to like get as close to as possible. 
So the, the law in, in all society, in all realms, uh, reveals the failings and deficiencies of our hearts. Now the second thing it does is law provokes sin. Romans has a lot to say about this. And uh, I think it's really weird that, that in a sense God is saying, my laws even provoke you to sin. You've all experienced this. Uh, um, sometimes if you go to a posh park and there's a little sign that says, by order, keep off the grass. Have you ever seen one of those? What do you want to do when you see that sign? I mean, you've been walking along the path perfectly happily, perfectly happy to walk upon the designated path. But then you see the sign that gives you the rule that says, you're not allowed on the grass. Like, and to me, that really provokes something in me. I think, who says? I pay my council tax, that's my grass as much as anyone else's. You stick your foot on it. There you go. What have you done to me now? Nothing. I'll walk across it if I want to. Law, the, so law provokes sin as well. Law provokes, if you like, law is like a, a hook to the inner rebellion that's in our heart against God. Somehow the law, in a sense, almost draws out um, the ways in which we have deep down in the depths of our heart, almost with unknown, unnamed ways, without labels, we've, we've, we're not following God. If you've ever been in an, an accountability relationship where you maybe ask questions one of another, you ask sort of moral questions, uh, how are you doing on this and how are you doing on this, and then you are, usually it works both ways so that it's it's fair, you know, you you both leave feeling equally bad. And then <laughs> one of the things the questions do is it's, it's almost as if it, it draws out. So you can walk into the room feeling, I'm doing okay, like I'm doing above average, B minus, doing okay with God, not bad. And then you ask these questions, whatever they might be, that, you know, how are you doing on this, how are you doing? have you thought this, you know, let me read this thing from the Bible, well, what's your reaction to that? And it's as if the Lord so draws something out of us that we want to keep hidden, that's really our rebellion or our rejection against God. And it, it, it's almost as if it brings it to the surface so it can be dealt with. And the third thing is, um, the Lord drives us to Christ. So I think there's an imperfect form of Christianity that is really just law-keeping. It's, it, at its heart, it's just Old Testament. It's a form of Christianity that's, that's only ever measured and framed around laws. But um, Galatians, again, Galatians chapter 3, it says the law is like the schoolmaster that drives us to Christ. So again, in the, the Puritans, they understood that. They understood there's a moment of dereliction when a person has, has seen the law of God and it's like being a mirror, a perfect mirror into their soul and you've just seen the gunk and the depth and the depravity of who you are, that you're in a sense, you're broken to the core. But the response from that, the next step, is actually then to turn to Christ in desperate need of salvation. The failed step is to try harder, to do better, or to put on a fake facade, or to compare yourself with someone else 
who's worse. All those things are just dealing with law with law. They don't improve your situation. But the law is put in charge to drive us to Christ. So we discover this whole new possibility of relationship with God that's framed around grace and free gift. Can you imagine the impact if we all grasp that? And I think we all hover backwards and forwards. I know I do. I think this is a kind of gospel message we all need to be reminded of once or twice a year maybe. Imagine how much my life or your life would be transformed if we got a hold of this understanding of going to Christ who pours out abundant grace and free gifts of righteousness. Um, Imagine what that would do to families and marriages and uh, cell groups and a, a church and a nation if we were all clear on this, if we had it clear in our head and clear in our hearts. And it's not that we've diminished the law or dismissed it or seen it as an old and antiquated thing or even nothing to do with it. But we're actually trying to follow Christ because we're taking it more seriously than ever. We recognise that actually Jesus has come not just to show a window into our souls, but also to lead us in a way forward that might actually work. That where he pours into us what we need in order to follow after him it can take a while to um, lay hold of this kind of thinking and I I think it's the kind of thing we need to go back to um, uh, a few times and somebody once gave a brilliant illustration for this that has always helped me and uh, I've never done this but if you paint with watercolours then you'll know um, that you you know, you, you lay down the foundations first. So, you know, if, you, if you're painting a seascape or something like that, you might, you know, you might paint the green of the ground and then you might paint the dark blue of the sea and the, and the lighter blue and the, the clouds and the broad strokes, you get that into there. And then in order to get a perfect picture, you need to put in the detail, you know, and the people and the buildings and the, and the shapes and the, the things that are in your scene. But if you're painting with watercolour and you go too quickly from the background layer into the detail, then the picture goes wrong. Because you start drawing in that house in brown and it just smudges with the sea and it all goes yucky and the pictures spoil. And so there's something about just, just living with the simplicity of the broad strokes. Before we get into just you know, advanced discipleship and, yeah, I'm, I would like to do one of those accountability things. You know, give me some of those questions and I'll go through that. Or we want to you know, dig, dig in the depths of what some of these passages say and what they speak to us. There's something about just living with the broad strokes first. And just, if you like, if it was that, if it was that watercolour, just letting those, that colour dry. Let it, let it set. Let it frame the picture. And then, of course, further down the line, other things, detail, precision, can be added in. A more perfect picture can be brought to bear. But if you, if you jump too quickly into that, then the sophistication of the picture, the sophistication of following Christ, it blurs the basic details. And the, the sky gets messed up and it, you know, the water runs and it merges with the green and the picture is spoiled and we have to repair the whole picture from the beginning. And I think there's something precious about just living with that basic, the basics, that there's abundant grace 
in Christ. That the, the righteousness that we have, the right standing with God, is a free gift. Uh, it's not something I earn. Um, that the solution to condemnation is, is going back to God. So if we've, if we've messed up, if we've got it wrong, we don't just say, right, I'll try harder, I'll pray harder, I promise I will witness to those people. In fact, I'm going to witness to extra people. That's all law-keeping to try and improve our relationship with God. Whenever we have that, we need to jump to grace afresh and say, it's about the free gift of grace. It's about the free gift of righteousness.